This is Security Council Report, an independent think tank since 2005. Follow us at SCR Tweets. You're listening to Interactive Dialogues. I'm Karen Landgren. Every New Year's Day, one-third of the Security Council's membership changes. Five member states leave the Security Council after their two-year terms, and they are replaced by five new elected members. The UN General Assembly chooses the new members every June, giving them six months to prepare. Even so, the act of joining the Council on January 1st feels like jumping onto a speeding car, according to one member. The five countries who just left the Security Council after two years were Estonia, Niger, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Tunisia and Vietnam. SCR has been talking to their ambassadors about their experiences on the Security Council. We're talking in early 2022, and it can feel like international peace and security has steadily disintegrated throughout 2021, even before Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine, with a half dozen coup attempts in Africa, a military takeover in Myanmar, a presidential assassination in Haiti, and numerous new ballistic missiles tests in the DPRK. All this in little over a year, and this is not an exhaustive list. These are, or they should be, acute tests for the UN Security Council. For this podcast, we spoke with Ambassador Sven Jurgensen of Estonia on February 17th, 2022. I think one thing we are seeing at Security Council Report is so much of the effectiveness of elected members depends on how they are able to work as a group. And some years that is better than than other years. That's just about uh, group dynamics. Yes, it's changing all the time. And in, in this sense, I would also even say that, you know, when some, sometimes people are are skeptical about the role of United Nations and also also the Security Council, uh, that they are not fit for purpose and, and we cannot manage the, the conflicts that we're supposed to do, then the criticism is in some sense unfair in the sense that United Nations as such, I've been sometimes arguing, doesn't exist. It's 193 member states. And if we are critical towards the United Nations, then actually we are critical towards the world. This is the, 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 the world that we are facing right now. And the same about the council. You know, there are, there are five permanent members and then there are, there are 10 elected members that are changing all the time. And the dynamic on the council of that therefore also changes. And it's not the fault of the council, but it's the, it's the reality of the world that we face right now. And in our, time, I, I have to say that in both two years, the cooperation among the elected members was absolutely fabulous. I think the, the, the kind of relationships that we built and the kind of e- information exchange and supporting each other, I'm really glad that, that, that I witnessed that. It's always been hard for the Council to prevent conflicts. Uh, one reason is that no country wants to be the subject of a Security Council discussion. What about this gap in the Council's ability to prevent deadly conflict? I think there is a gap, uh, but I, I, I would see that there are two reasons for that. The, the, the one that you mentioned is, is a bit more abstract, and this, this is the stigmatization of being being on the Council table. And I'm, I'm sometimes also saying that the main role of the Council should be to get 
the countries on the table to be at the table. So that that means that we will be successfully handling the crisis. But but that's only a part of the problem of of why we can't get prevention and preventive actions to the council. And the other one is, as we well know, that there are two council members who are so-called purists that are don't that are, not, are very reluctant to get new issues on the table of the council, be it thematic issues or new regions. And the 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 task of the council is to deal with the questions of international peace and security, <clears throat> and they are defining it very very narrowly. And they they see if there is no conflict yet, then it doesn't belong to the council table. And I find it completely wrong. I think prevention should be one of the most important parts of the of the council because everybody understands. I think there is there is no debate that that a, a prevented crisis and prevention is always cheaper. If I could use this word, word because I don't mean cheaper only in, in in terms of money, but also lost lives and 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 economic development and a, a long term. Uh, view of a of a perspective of a country and so on. So in a very broad term, it's much cheaper. Uh, but unfortunately, because uh, because of those two, but especially the second one, you know, that not wanting new subjects like like climate change, cybersecurity, the thematic issues, but also conflicts that are we we are clearly see coming, and we are not able to take them on the council because of this purist attitude towards that. Can something shift that reluctance or that purist attitude? Is there more of a role, say, for the Secretary General to take up some of these issues, to take some of these issues to the Council? Or could there be more of a role for regional organizations in prevention? I think all of it together. I think what we do need is a constant push towards new subjects, being on the table and so on. And I think there's a very big role, yes, for the Secretary General. There's a big role for regional organizations. What we saw with Myanmar, for example, how ASEAN was was very active in that. When we talk about Ukraine, we see the OSCE. And just today at the meeting, actually, OSCE is also participating. But then also on, on uh, I would call climate change and or the climate security, not climate change <clears throat> that belongs to the to the General Assembly, but the security implications of climate change, and also cybersecurity as part of this preventive preventive action. And I think, therefore, from my experience, a very big role in achieving this is also for elected members, because. If you look at uh, the, 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 the climate security issues, if you look at cybersecurity, it was the elected members who were able to push it and get it on the table. And I, I believe the same should apply also to potential conflicts on the ground when, when we see uh, them happening. And especially the very first indication of problems to come are usually gross violations of human rights. And so therefore, I would consider these issues also as a very big part of the, the work of the Security Council, or at least it should be a very big part of the Security Council. Tell us about Estonia's experience in bringing cybersecurity issues more firmly into the Security Council. It's a very complex issue because, you know, where the difficulty lies is, is twofold. The, the, the first one is that cybersecurity itself is a contested issue in the United, at the United Nations. You know, there are different views on, 
on uh, whether international law applies in cyberspace and so on. And so therefore, they are even different bodies like the group of governmental experts and open-ended working group of the General Assembly, you know, and, and all kinds of different things. And there is no consensus how to approach this. So this is the broader UN vision. And the second one, what I talked about earlier, is that they are the purists who don't want new things on the council table. And so therefore, we had this uh, because we... We see really, because being a front runner in, in, in digitalization and, and, and e-governance, there's another side of the coin that, that brings also vulnerabilities. And so therefore, we have seen it also in Estonia. And so we see this very much as part of international peace and security. And in t the today's world is very different than it, what it was 70 years ago. And so our approach was from the very beginning, we wanted to bring this to the council table as a new subject. And we, we took a very slow and strategic approach. You know, we had, uh, we were working with other council members. We, we organized a couple of informal meetings. We, uh, we had uh, an AOB or any other business meeting on a particular cyber attack. But we very clearly also say that we don't want to duplicate the work of the of the, the General Assembly, just like also the the, the cl climate security issues. That we are looking at the security and peace and security part of this issue, and we are not the the Security Council should not, and we do not have the ambition to create new international law through the the, the Security Council. But the subject as such has very strong security implications. And so, therefore, with this strategic approach of slowly coming to the, our second presidency uh, in June uh, last year, uh, we were able to, to, to get it the first time to officially, as an official meeting in the program of work of the Council. And we are now working also uh, with some other members uh, who are still there, uh, who would pick up the torch and, and carry it forward because uh, we we are very well aware that it might also be just a flash once and, and, and I, I believe that it does belong to the council table and it shouldn't disappear. The Secretary General is on record as saying that he fully expects the next major war to begin with a massive cyber attack. So the links to international peace and security are... Uh, amply clear. But do those who say that this issue is being dealt with, not by one, but two uh, groups in the General Assembly have a point that that is the right home for these issues? Or how do you see the relationship between work that is taking place in both bodies? Could that be linked up more effectively? I think, first of all, yes, it, it could be linked up, and, and it is linked up because the same countries also, like Estonia also, we are participating also in the GGE and the group of governmental experts and also in the open-ended working group, but also at the, we were at the Security Council. So all those works are going on. But like I said earlier, I think there are certain security implications that are coming and uh, are just normally should be on the table of the council also that are dealing with the real threat. And when you say, you know, that, that some attacks are starting with, with uh, cyber attacks, then first of all, we have seen it already. You know, when you look at the, the war in Georgia in 2008, actually all the when, when you look at, at certain uh, moments of the war, then it was pretty much always that a conventional attack 
was accompanied by a cyber attack as well. So they were going hand in hand. It was the first time that we saw this. Secondly, there are also issues that we, we have to understand that <clears throat> you can achieve exactly the same uh, objectives either by a cyber attack or a missile attack sometimes. You can you can uh, blow up or at least shut down a, a power station by a cyber attack or a missile attack. And the question, of course, then comes that, that when a missile attack st- takes place, then it's obvious who sent the missile and what happened and all the implications are there. And also the international law is very clear about that. But uh, if you achieve exactly the same thing with, with cyber attack, then it's actually in a limbo. You know, who did it? Uh, what kind of international applies to that? What, what are the, the the potential measures against this? What is a legitimate response? So all these kinds of issues are there. But this is not a place exactly to, to talk about in the Security Council, but this is exactly what what should be in the General Assembly or the overall understanding of the role of the international law and so on. But when we look at, at direct security implications, then I think this this should be as a... Uh, a part of the Security Council work. You chaired some uh, important subsidiary bodies and some difficult subsidiary bodies, in your case, the 1518 Iraq Committee and the 1591 Sudan Sanctions Committee. Is the enthusiasm for sanctions still there among most members, something I feel we've seen over the past couple of years is increasing pushback against sanctions regimes generally by some members. And the most recent uh, statement on this I read was a suggestion that sanctions and the severity of sanctions being imposed are somehow linked to the rise of mercenarism in Africa as members need to find military support from other sources if they aren't able legitimately to to acquire arms. I don't know if this is a stretch as an argument, but I think the pushback is real. When you ask about whether there is a consensus among most of council members, then the question is, what is most? We we know very well there are, there are two members, uh, I can say it, it's Russia and China, who are very skeptical towards any sanctions at all. Uh, but if you if you th- think about the allegations that sanctions regime are targeted against the population somehow and so on, it's completely wrong. I think if you look at the the reality on the ground, then the sanctions actually are to help the population and the people on the ground. Uh, and what comes to the to the arms embargo, then if you look at different places like uh, let's say Central African Republic and so on, then then the the arms needed to find ter- fight terrorism for the government are not and under sanctions at all. Actually, the 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 mechanism to get necessary arms to be delivered is there. So, therefore, I think this is a pseudo argument, uh, and and it doesn't doesn't really work. And I think embargoes and especially arms embargoes and and sanctions have a very important role actually to influence the, these kinds of uh, co- complicated conflicts. When we at Security Council Report met with your team in the run-up to taking your seat, we talked quite a lot about what elected members are able to achieve on the council. So with the benefit of hindsight, what would you now say about the role of elected members and whether your expectations were met about what was possible? 
I think they were more than than met. Uh, before we 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 got to the council and before and unfortunately also a little bit during the campaign because we had a contested seat and it was on the clean slate <clears throat> there is a, a strong debate in Estonia on 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 the membership whether it's worthwhile you know putting all those resources uh to this and and one of the arguments was that the elected members do not have any role at all you know the permanent members are doing every, all the heavy lifting and we we can't achieve anything and so why why bother and that ter- looking now back to the last two years that turned out to be completely wrong <clears throat> i think 99% of the time the council is working as 15 there were very few occasions where where i felt that the p5 were doing their own uh background job somewhere but it was very very seldom and and so a lot depends on your own ambition and and what i learned and what i'm telling also for my successors to to my successors is that that as especially for small countries this is a an opportunity for a generation estonia has already put in candidature for 2050 you know 30 years and and uh, so therefore when we go in we shouldn't go in just to sit there and give the speeches and 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 be content to the the slow pace of of work but there we should be as ambitious as possible but at the same time we should be cautiously ambitious and and the first year there is uh, we 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 were we were not yet quite confident how strong we are what what is our capacity and capability and by the end of the year when we felt already that so to say our feet were touching the ground already and and we we felt that we can we can manage and we were we had enough self confidence then we grabbed also pen uh, pens for two different uh, issues and one of them was afghanistan one of the most important and biggest uh, uh, files of course on the council table that was left over by Germany and Indonesia leaving the council. And then we took also over a pen from Germany to do it together with France on the the arms embargo, uh, uh, the EU uh, mission to enforce the arms embargo in Libya that's called Irini. And penholdership, of course, as you know, it's, it's something that actually it, it really doesn't exist on the paper, but everybody could grab a pen uh, but at the same time, the penholdership has to be accepted by all other members. And so therefore, it was quite quite some work to convince other members that we would be good penholders, especially in these kinds of complicated portfolios. Uh, but everything, if you look at, you know, the the relationships that were built in the council then you look at the 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 role of a penholdership on issues like afghanistan and libya then then the sanctions committee uh, then also the issues that are closer to our region that otherwise probably wouldn't have been on the table if we wouldn't have been there and these are issues that people back home really understand clearly why and what we are doing and they were all opportunities that we grabbed and i think we we were quite successful and so therefore people back home also who were skeptical at first looking now after the two years actually everybody is looking that it's it, it was clearly worthwhile and it was a very positive experience as we start to wind up is there something you want to talk about as a source of great pride for what estonia was able to achieve on the council or any parting thoughts uh, useful to other countries contemplating uh, council membership? Uh, 
you know, like every country entering the council, there is there is a brainstorming session always on the priorities in the council, and then every everybody wants to define the objective of being in the council. What do we want to achieve? What do we what is the purpose of being in the council? And the interesting thing, when I remember we had this quite a long discussion and debate, how to define in a short limit, writing down the objective. And the strange thing is that after this very concrete, you know, thinking about this and that debate, we came to a very, very banal definition. We want to be a good security council member. So, and I think this is the essence, you know, you, you want to contribute to the peace in the world. You want to, to sh show also, as, especially as a small country, that you are capable of doing it. And uh, we managed to create new relationships in the world. So the, for, as a small country, the world has become bigger for us, and we tr intend to keep those relationships. We managed to take our issues on the table in our region, plus also cybersecurity and these kinds of things. We, we managed also to, to strengthen the relations with our own allies and like-minded countries. And overall, I believe that the image of Estonia has, has grown uh, from this. And it's not up to me to say, but I, I believe we were a good member. Elected members should go to the council with high ambition, cautiously, so that they wouldn't fail, and and that's what we tried to do. And also, when I look at the priorities, like what we had, the international law, women's rights, all these kinds of issues, cybersecurity, then also we didn't know at the beginning, actually, how to how to show our priorities. And the main thinking was that the, the main thing to, to, to advance your priorities would be to organize special events and informal meetings and so on. That is also true. But I think even more, you can show your priorities absolutely every day. In every single conflict, you can talk about women's rights. You can talk about international law. And, and so therefore, and also what is, was interesting in this context, you know, was I was surprised, actually, how how closely the countries involved were following every word that we said at the council. And this is where sometimes, you know, people are saying that that what's the use of the council? We give just empty speeches, and 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 looking from aside, it, it there is a legitimacy in this question, you know, because there are two different parts of the work of the council. One is, is the products like resolutions and presidential statements and even press statements and, and these kinds of things. And that people can really measure. They can understand what it, it means because Security Council is one of the few places that does create international law and it's uh, an obligation to follow the, the council resolutions for all UN member states, even though we do not have an enforcement mechanism per se, actually. But, but the other part is just everyday meetings and giving speeches. And it, it might seem to be of, of very little use. But then I started thinking at some point that if there would be no use in them at all, why are people so closely following, you know, everything? And for not just us, you know, every council member who was saying this. So therefore, it, it has to have some influence. And, and this is something where 
you said two years is very short, but it's long enough to create this red line, you know, the, where where people can see that this this is exactly what what Estonia is doing and what our values are, what we are, what our priorities are, and and becomes really visible in the two years, and you can really advance this every day. Sven, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for giving us your time, and it's fantastic to see you still warmly enthusiastic about the council these seven weeks after Estonia finished its term. So thank you very much. Thank you. And I really have to say, I'm after the two years, I'm more enthusiastic than I was before. <laughs> and a lot of it also, thank you and Security Council Report for helping all of us, not just Estonia, but the, but the, the countries that go in and the, and the newcomers, you know, they're... There is an issue of confidence because for Estonia it was the first time, but I believe that when 2050 comes, it still feels as a first time because there is a new generation of diplomats there already. It's been a great experience for us working with you and the other and the other council members. So thank you for that. Thank you. This is Security Council Report. We were speaking with Ambassador Sven Jurgensen of Estonia. Follow us at SCR Tweets or check our website, securitycouncilreport.org.